This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We need to thank the community for the way they want to my mother, the way they gave her time, and they spoke with her. The years that she lived here were most, the most pleasant for her, and we have to do with what people want to cover her in patience and love. And it's my duty to be the bar of the government. Specifically also, uh, for the buy arrangements, there were a few people, Rosenbaum, Reinhold, the Kaiser, were very misastic and um, to make it happen in the way that's part of the Baraka. Go to my first stadium, that's why my brother will not be master here, will be master next stroke, and just try to give a small sketch of her life. She lived him out a century, and perhaps not one day in her life was easy for her. She was born in a very, very poor family. When she was eight, her mother passed away, and she had to mother her siblings. Instead of being hugged, kissed, and caressed, she had to worry for siblings. She then had a stepmother, and the relationship wasn't easy. Fourteen children in the household, tremendous poverty. Very, very tumultuous school for Christ, Things were falling apart. A lot of, a lot of dissension, a lot of rebellion. She had a minimal education. She was a very bright person, but I don't think past third grade she had education. It wasn't possible, any type of education. And her childhood was a memory of struggles that she tried not to speak about. The war came. And she went through it in a labor camp. Somewhere in the beginning of the war, I didn't know all the details exactly, but she was run over by a trolley. And she had surgery on her head without anesthesia. And she did it. She took her strength and her ability to handle pain and many things was incredible. She had a desire to live behind him, and he kept her through <coughs> conditions that no one else could have survived. At the camp that she was, she had a way of getting some extra food, and she made sure to distribute it. And there were people that she gave it to and kept them alive. After the war, she came to America. She was painless. She obviously wanted to start a life, get married, and she worked very, very hard. And as a seamstress, that was her trade, that was her father's trade. And she saved every penny to be able to, to get a life. 
she had a friend who went to Israel. And that friend had a child, I think, had asthma. And the medication in Israel wasn't right, wasn't good. And only in America she was the medication, the right medication. My mother slashed her income and went every week to the job store to buy that medication and send it. When she wanted to do something, when she felt something needed to be done, there was nothing that ever stood in her way. And it was throughout her life, Mr. Snefish, that she could do was incredible. She came from a world that was very, very different than my father's world. My father grew up around the yeshiva, around Slavotka. My father's scope and vision, understanding of the understanding of the yeshiva world. <coughs> Though my father was already in business in Europe, but his life and his entire culture was a culture yeshiva world. My mother grew up in a world that had no yeshivas. There were some seeded, perhaps. But the youth was diehard communist and socialist with tremendous hatred and backlash. And she came to America, she was an attractive woman. She wasn't all that old. And she met my father. My father was 15 years at least her senior. And with a very, very different world. She didn't understand that world. But Chazal say that when Alicia came to the house, the Namas, she told her husband, I know that this person is the Isha Lakim Ish Kaddish. And the Gemara says, Mikan, Sheisha Makaras Ba'orashim, Yesmin Ish. A woman understands, yes, better than a man does. A man's mind works with data, analysis, processing. You need time, you need experiences, and you reach conclusions. A woman has an intuition. And when she saw my father, she said, I don't understand it. But this is good, this is noble, this is right, and this is what I want the time of life with. My mother's life, the hard life, and her very sharp intuition had made her a very suspicious and cynical person. But for her, suspicion and cynicism was not wielded as an axe to destroy. It was a scalpel that separated the fat from the meat. The people that seemed to people that were. She once told me, she didn't speak much about but once she told me that before she met my father, she met somebody with very prestigious lineage, well-to-do, many, many um, qualities that one would think You'd be eager for a girl with nothing from the camps to marry. 
she began to notice in him the lapse of religiosity. It didn't bother her as such, but the discrepancy between what the person was projecting and what the person was bothered her. And she told him that somebody who is not what he pretends to be is not somebody he wants. And my father, without understanding what yeshivas were, without understanding what Slavotka was, she felt in him this is the quality of a person of stature. And as different as they were, in age, temperament, from different worlds, <coughs> she stood by his side, a tremendous friend, and he cared for her and gave her a, a glimpse into a world, into a beautiful world that she had never seen. Through stories, through demeanor, through actions. Her, her ability to give away, to give away everything was incredible. She worked very, very hard. There was a time when she didn't need to work so hard. My father's job as a shamanist, bringing in whatever earning he put in, their life was quite simple. But she wanted us to go to a camp, and a camp cost money. We went to a camp that was a very nice camp in Ruchnius, but my mother looked at the conditions and she wasn't very happy. And she took us immediately to a very expensive camp. And she went to work in a sweatshop all summer long. No air conditioner, 140 degrees inside the room, so that we should not have to live the way she lived. So that we would have something that they'd be able, that we would have the life and the things that she didn't have. I should have spoken about it. It was natural normal. It was felt I, was, I did well in, in, in school. And it was felt I would benefit from having a Chavrusa shop with a Chashua person. I was a young boy, I was looking, I think it was before my Narmitz one. Yeah, it was definitely before my Narmitz one. So twice a week, they paid somebody a Chashua, Altamira, Meshulanka, this kind of Rafa, to learn with me. So once he came to me, and I'm not a Shabbos, I would go there. So the one night a week that my mother had off, that everybody else went out, she would take me, we took two buses to get there, took about 45 minutes now to get there, and went for an hour, and we went back. She didn't understand what we're learning. She didn't understand why learning. But she was my careless origin. Somehow, and somewhere she knew that this is good. This is good for me. And therefore, she took the one night of the week that she had off, and then everyone else went out to have a good time. And she spent it taking back and forth. The one perk she had, she worked in a sweatshop, and it was, they made fancy coats. And the perk that they had was 
once a year, they could make a call to themselves. So, you know, everybody chipped in his time and so on. The boss gave the material. Everybody made a call to themselves. Every year, my mother would find a rabbitson, a person that she felt was a woman of stature, and spent the whole year thinking about the coat to make for her and made it for her. What color would fit this person, what style would fit the person, how and what. And that year, yes, yes, she did make a coat for herself, but every other year, she made a coat for somebody that would never dream of wearing a coat like that. And this was, this was the sum total of the perk that she had. And this is what she gave it to somebody that she felt was Emma's. As strongly and as harshly as she spoke of people that she felt were not total to borrow, were not, their, 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 their projection and their essence were disparate, that's how strongly she was willing to give everything for a person that she felt was Emma's. She had nothing in the world except for my brother and myself, the older and the younger. At the age of 16, I graduated high school. And I decided I want to dedicate my life to Torah, Shifti Beis Hashem. It wasn't really what she had in mind. If for any reason, she was living fairly from hand to mouth. Not, not lacking anything, but that was it. By all rights, I should do something that would be financially lucrative. And maybe I would have done to help her in her old age. The path I was taking wasn't going there. She also didn't understand quite. But she sensed that it's good. And she agreed. And she saw me off as a girl, supposedly for a year, and she knew she was letting go of me. I remember vividly, it's a scene almost 50 years ago. It was in 1970. It was three, four days for Shoshana, and she was sitting with me, Jeff, Kate, seeing me off. Knowing that that's it, the 16 years which has some novice, which has somebody is gone, it's going. And two years later, my brother would follow without any issues with it. That scene stands in front of me. And I have a confession to make you I didn't understand what it meant to me. I couldn't understand what it meant. You whispered when they announced that everybody should please go. The security and hype was for some attack, and they want to do it earlier. You whispered, Scanish night. And that was it. And you disappeared in the night. You came to visit me in Israel, first tours with the Abba. You didn't understand, but you saw Reb And you said, This is the person. I want to be the role model for my son. The Ishma Karis, the Ish Kaddish, the Ishmaela. Somebody who really has nothing in the world 
in a different world. You store that. You intuit it. Because that's the one gift Kashmir gave a woman that allows her to function in many societies and intuit what's good and what's not good. Three years later, four years later, I got engaged. It wasn't possible to come to see my wife before. People didn't travel, those are expensive. You, um, you got, you got engaged without you being there. You sent your brothers. You came and you met your daughter-in-law. You were taken by her. You loved her and revered her for the rest of your life. Nothing could be good enough. My in-laws, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, you said they are big people. And this is, I'm happy that this is the home you're in. These are my cares. There's no other way to explain it. And she spent the next 25 years Instead of her successful, financially successful son sending her tickets to all sorts of exotic places, you sent packages and things to help us sit and learn. It's not that you didn't complain, it's you were happy with it. Because you sense that this is right, and this is good, and this is special. That sacrifice, it's that understanding. And there were other people who I tried to have some pressure with that you sense were not good people. Nor if anyone sensed it. And you went the whole you went the whole mile to stop it. Way before anyone else understood. And I can't speak more about it. Tremendous strength and the Sersnefish. I don't know Dashkafa before I left back here. I came here after my father's tear. And someone said, maybe a Kharishparaku sent you back for your mother so that she's she at least in her widowed age, she has somebody. Who knows our A few weeks ago, I was at the home visiting her. She was in decline and so on. And she said something very, very eerie. I don't know what to make of it. She said, you know, you know those who come to you? I sort of didn't say anything. I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, they were here, and they said, she's such a fine woman. She gave of her food in the camp as much as she could to other people. She sent medication to somebody. Why is she still there? Why don't we take her with us? And they said, because she's the only one here who covers her hair. And we need to leave her. If it's a projection of her mind, it says something about her. And if it's a projection to her mind, it says something about it. I don't know. 
Delta life. A life of incredible hardship. A life of nothing easy. No one to hug her, no one to comfort her. From the earliest memories, she was going to have to do and scramble and work. You know, we're going to JFK again. In this country, you're going on. At least, this time I'll be thinking of you. Maybe I've gotten old enough and smart enough. I know it's normal for a young person to think of parents. I know I'm not being on myself. But I also understand that the two mothers realize it. Two mothers realize that the person whose shoulders you stand on. My mother was a thin, small person. And on her shoulders, everything stood. I know. I'll be thinking of you. And I think you'll still be thinking of me, of us, label myself, and the children, the grandchildren, their grandchildren. You're coming and you'll be in this situation. You know what every single one needs. <coughs> Even when we didn't tell you, your senses were very, very sharp. And you picked up on each and every one's needs. And sometimes we'd let out that you knew. But I would like to ask for one Dakasha, for each and every one of us separately and all together. Now, may our lives be worthy of your mistress nefesh. May what we accomplish and do and how we do give merit to the centuries of selflessness of not having anything for yourself and just for others. May that be our lot and may it be your lot. And I think it will be not true to you, not true to Venezuela, not true to me.